I couldn't even imagine how unbelievably frightening that would be for the family. Young children in a home targeted by gunmen. Police say the criminals got the wrong house. It's not okay for this, but you can go to Costco and have hundreds of people. COVID defiance, the pandemic pushback as a number of churches break the rules and hold Sunday services. And caught on dashcam how a Prince George man survived this head-on collision with a snowplow on Highway 16. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks very much for joining us. We start tonight with a disturbing crime in Abbotsford where police say an innocent family was targeted by gunmen. Police say shots were fired into a home in the 3200 block of Adair Avenue shortly after 8pm last night. The homeowner tells us he's a church-going guy with two children, a four-year-old and an 11-year-old. They just sat down to watch a Christmas show when bullets started flying into the home. One of the bullets going through their couch. The homeowner says about 10 shots were fired. Fortunately, no one was injured. The family is not known to police who believe the wrong home was targeted. This type of violence is unacceptable and alarming, and the fact that possibly the wrong home was targeted is uh, atrocious. I I don't even have words to be able to explain how frightening this would be for this neighbourhood. Abbotsford Police are now seeking more witnesses and also video footage. A Langley church has become the first in BC to be fined for flouting the province's COVID-19 rules. The RCMP say the Riverside Calvary Chapel on 201st Street was given a chance to suspend its service. And when that didn't happen, the church was handed a $2,300 ticket. As Paul Johnson now reports, this wasn't the only Fraser Valley church showing defiance. Open defiance of the provincial health orders by at least two churches in the Chilliwack area Sunday. The Free Grace Baptist Church and the Free Reform Church. Worshippers of all ages could be seen gathering for several scheduled services, despite the Fraser Health Region's status as leading the province in cases and as infections overall are at an all-time high. So I spoke with one of the leaders of the church here earlier and he said the situation is very simple. He understands what the government is doing, but he says his allegiance ultimately is to God. And God commands him to worship here every Sunday. We have seen outbreaks in B.C., in churches, in multiple faiths, in multiple places in the province, in temples, in gurdwaras. If you're taking the long view, the story should come as no surprise. Testing the boundaries of government, science and religion is as old as Western civilization itself. The issue came to a head recently in the United States when the Supreme Court there sided with churches and synagogues in their fight to stay open. While similar principles are being invoked here, there's another thing that's driving this that is unique to B.C. What surprised me is that um, bars... (laughs) remained open. The decision by Victoria to close churches but let the bars stay open is particularly baffling to many religious people in BC. This is not fair. Is the reason is 
because if you kept the bars closed, oh, we might have a riot. Those people need their drink. In a statement, one of the Chilliwack pastors encouraged government to rethink the definition of essential service, as he believes in-person worship is essential to his congregation. Inspired though they may be, consequences could be swift. In addition to the faithful, the Mounties also turned up at the non-compliant church's Sunday. There was no immediate confirmation on what transpired there. In Chilliwack, Paul Johnson, Global News. Amateur sports groups in BC say confusing government COVID restrictions have left many of them wondering whether they should be operating or not. On Monday, health authorities issued new regulations for indoor sports. Some groups, such as judo and boxing, kept operating because they felt they were a different part of classification under the provincial sports body via sport. That was until Dr. Bonnie Henry announced on Friday that the rules did apply to all indoor sports. Via Sport has four groupings of sport based on risk, from group A, low risk, to group D, high risk. And instead of BC Health using that group of four and determining that, that group, you know, those sports in group A and those sports in group C have to stop, they just put out a blanket, very simple statement. And that's been really confusing. Well, Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix will be holding another media briefing tomorrow at 3 p.m. You will be able to watch that live on BC One. The COVID-19 numbers for the province are expected to be high once again. Let's uh, take you now to Victoria and our Keith Baldry. Uh, Keith, we've been keeping a close eye on these uh, numbers. They've been close to 1,000 cases a day recently. Any reason to believe that that's going to be any different tomorrow? Well, the numbers haven't gone down any appreciable sense for a long time now. November has been a really bad month for COVID-19, the worst month since the pandemic began. So keep in mind, tomorrow's number is a three-day total. And we expect that three-day total to be the biggest ever of a three-day total that we've seen since the pandemic began. The highest one was last Monday at 1911. Uh, so it could exceed more than 2,500 cases. That's because right now our daily average is tracking at about 800 cases a day. And that's based on a five-day rolling average. And we had 911 on Friday. If we have that number, we could be over 2,500. Hopefully we're below that. Another thing to keep an eye on, will hospitalizations numbers continue to increase? increase. They've been going up steadily uh, about 75 in one week. And the other really troubling statistics, Sonia, to keep an eye on tomorrow is we've seen an explosion in the number of deaths in BC as a result of uh, people dying from COVID-19. In fact, 58 people died last week as a result of getting uh, COVID-19. Most of those are, are in our uh, long-term care homes. We now have more than 50 outbreaks in long-term care. We had less than 30 when the month began. So again, November, very bad on on all fronts. One note, I just got off the phone with Health Minister Adrian Dix, so just a bit of more information with Paul Johnston's story. He tells me sort of a, a look around today from the health authorities saw that the vast majority of churches and religious uh, area um, facilities uh, did comply with the rules. There wasn't a lot of openings today. That seemed to be very much the exception rather than the rule. And as you mentioned, three o'clock tomorrow, we have that update on BC One and I'll be on afterwards. Absolutely. We'll both be there for, for that. Yep. So hopefully viewers can tune in live. Thanks very much, Keith. Keith Baldry in Victoria. It's going to be a nervous return back to the classroom for students and staff at Surrey's Cambridge Elementary tomorrow. The school was closed two weeks ago after at least seven COVID-19 cases were confirmed there. Also, a music teacher from the school ended up in the ICU. That teacher now back
back home recovering. But as Grace Key reports, despite safety assurances, some parents are planning to keep their children home. Students at Surrey's Cambridge Elementary will be heading back to class Monday after a COVID outbreak shut the school down for two weeks. A letter to parents outlines further safety measures, including staggered recesses and lunches and asking children to pack a full water bottle. Some kids that will not be coming tomorrow, parents are keeping them home till after uh, Christmas break. They have no faith that anything has changed. Seven people tested positive at Cambridge. It's one of the larger schools with 850 students and staff. There are 12 portables with no running water and one shared washroom. A beloved music teacher recently released from hospital due to COVID taught 500 students a week in a portable. We wanted to have um, social distancing. We want our cohorts to be properly managed tables to be changed. We would also have liked to see changes in the music teacher, uh, the librarian, how, how that has worked. Newton Elementary in Surrey is also shut down due to a COVID outbreak after 16 people tested positive. The Surrey Teachers Association is demanding masks be required, 50% class density, online learning programs and accommodations for teachers with health concerns. If we don't make a significant change, we might have to shut down schools entirely and that would be bad for everyone. So this is a compromise between having better health and safety and still taking care of students' educational needs. The Surrey Teachers Association says it's just a matter of time before another school is shut down. Newton is set to reopen December 14. Grace Key, Global News. A COVID-19 outbreak at Burnaby General Hospital is now at 92 cases and seven deaths. Fraser Health says 59 patients and 33 staff are now infected with the virus. As of last Wednesday, no new patients were being admitted to the hospital. That still stands with the exception of ICU, palliative care and maternity. The outbreak was declared on November the 9th and was made worse when patients had to be moved around after a fire that broke out in a basement of one of the buildings six days later. The cause of that fire is still being investigated. Well, as cases rise in BC during this second wave of the pandemic, the head of medicine at Royal Columbian is urging the public not to let their guard down. Dozens of COVID-19 patients are being cared for in medical and critical care units at the New Westminster Hospital. Healthcare workers are really now starting to feel the burnout. Dr. Gerald DeRosa says if these numbers continue to get worse, there'll be serious concern over capacity and being able to look after all patients. He's now begging the public to comply with all the rules. We see cases and when, when we figure out how they obtained COVID, it, a lot of them are, are because people did not comply with the restrictions. Um, and I think it's just so important for people to understand that uh, this is the only way we can keep the numbers under control until a vaccination is available. Until you get the vaccine, you are not protected from COVID. And I think people are assuming that if you're young and healthy, that COVID is not going to be a big deal. But, you know, let me be clear, there are some younger people who have gotten COVID that have passed away. And so if people can just really um, focus on the next couple of months and doing the best they can, um, I do think that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. 
BC's new mandatory mask policy is continuing to fuel confrontations between anti-maskers and employees working in stores. As Shelby Tom now reports, an aggressive incident that happened in the South Okanagan is now shining a light on how businesses could handle customers who claim they have a medical exemption. Jasbir Bansuda says the vast majority of his customers at the Petro-Canada gas station in Kaledon are complying with the mandatory mask order to help curb the spread of COVID-19. It's ready for you. But last Wednesday, Bansuda had a run-in with a defiant anti-masker. The woman claimed she couldn't wear a face covering due to a medical condition and threatened him over the phone with a lawsuit after she was told no mask, no service. And I said, like, you know, we do require a mask or you need to show us that you have a medical problem because... People are making all kinds of different excuses. That's when Banzuda says a disgruntled customer hurled a racist remark at his employee. So she said, effing immigrants, go back to India. The small business owner says it was a shocking reaction. It felt bad, especially going and saying like racial stuff. I don't think it's the right thing to do. Banzuda says it's frontline workers, often making minimum wage, who are bearing the brunt of the anti-mask aggression and they're running on fumes. They are gonna go home and they're gonna think about it. Like, is it even worth it to work for $15 and take all this, you know, crap from people. According to the ministerial order, some people are exempt from the mask wearing rule, including those with a physical or mental health condition. The local Chamber of Commerce says be prepared to show proof. They should have um, something from their doctor that says that they can't wear a mask. Um, and be able to provide that. But BC's top doctor says that's not a requirement. We take people at their word. There is no way that we will force people to have medical notes. Just one? Banzuda is imploring people to have some respect and compassion. But if it happens again, he says he won't hesitate to call the police. Taking your anger out on an employee, it doesn't make any sense. Shelby Tom, Global News. A Vancouver businessman says he's struggling to survive the double whammy of the pandemic and dealing with criminals. Angelo Kashaba, the owner of Little Grooming in Hornby, that are just basically says his salon... I do apologize for that. Angelo Kashaba, the owner of Regal Grooming in Hornby, says his salon has been targeted several times by thieves. In one instance, the crook gained access by using a blowtorch to break the glass door in the middle of the night. Kashaba says he's frustrated that he pays massive property taxes, yet the city is focusing on being the world's greenest rather than the safest and the most livable. Despite having clear evidence of some of the suspects involved in the crimes, he's now asking the police and the court systems uh, to follow up and deal with the cases of fewer consequences. All right, we are going to move on. Sorry for the technical difficulty there. A shocking near-death experience on a northern BC highway has been caught on dashcam video. Or on demand whenever you like. It happened on Friday on Highway 16, just west of McBride. Prince George resident Dave Landine was driving for Canada Post when the RCMP say the blade of a snowplow caught some ice on the road, causing it to veer into the oncoming lane and then collide with Landine's pickup. Landine says he's left with some bruises and suffered some broken teeth, but is otherwise OK. His truck ended up on the side of the road. Police say, amazingly, there were no other serious injuries, adding that this could have ended very differently. 
Well, it was a major campaign promise during this fall's snap election. The NDP pledging to put a 15% cap on food delivery commission fees to help restaurants that are struggling during the pandemic. Kristen Robinson now has more on how soon this is likely to happen and why one Vancouver business isn't holding its breath. Pigeon Restaurant is boxing up a big order for From Two. The at-cost food delivery service owner Brandon Grossuti launched last spring. The goal with what we're doing is to keep that money in BC, keep that money in Canada, uh, to be able to keep that money inside of restaurants and drivers' pockets. Popular delivery apps currently charge restaurants as much as 30% in commission on the total price of food. We'll say a $100 order, uh, they would pay $30 commission right off the top. And then uh, the consumer is going to pay a delivery fee and then probably a tip. So it gets really expensive. At 30%, the, the restaurant's not making any money at all. None. They're not just like breaking even on that transaction. In many cases, they're losing on that transaction. Ontario just tabled legislation that would cap delivery fees at 15% in COVID hotspots where in-person dining is banned. Total charges would max out at 20%. We will regulate uh, this activity in our province. MLA David Eby promised the BCNDP would cap food delivery commission fees at 15% for six months if key players didn't do so voluntarily. At the end of the day, this is going to be contested by these companies and is going to be a long road before it actually helps any of the restaurants. Grossuti isn't waiting. Under From 2, the customer pays for the order plus tax, the 650 driver fee and tip. The driver fee may be less should the restaurant choose to subsidize part of it for the customer. The restaurant receives the order plus tax minus any driver fee subsidy and credit card fee. The driver gets the driver fee and tip. We're at zero percent. We're not charging anything to the restaurants. I believe that BC will move uh, likely the first week in December. The election promise now the mandate of the Solicitor General. Already thinking outside the box, From 2 says with enough drivers, it's ready to take on a thousand restaurants. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A candle that tipped over is being blamed for a house fire that sent two people to hospital in Pitt Meadows late this morning. Flames badly damaged the second floor of the home in the 14300 block of Harris Road. The fire broke out shortly before noon. Two of the three people who lived there suffered burns to their hands and face, as well as the effects of smoke inhalation when they apparently tried to put out the fire themselves. The three occupants, when I arrived on scene, two of them did have minor burns to their face and to their hands. Um, I, I didn't get to speak to them, but I assume they were trying to put the fire out. They did say that it did start from a candle. They were transported by uh, BC ambulance and to, in their care this time. Welcome back. Well, tomorrow, the finance minister will be delivering a much-anticipated economic update. It is unclear at this stage whether it's going to look like a full budget, but it is expected to chart a course for the months ahead. Global's Mike Couture reports from Ottawa. Charting the course ahead won't be easy considering Canada still doesn't have the pandemic under control. So some believe Monday's fall economic update will be more like a list of possibilities than a clear path forward. Liberals haven't tabled a full budget since March of 2019 and only gave an economic snapshot in July. Back then, the deficit stood at $343 billion. Many of the aid programs were well underway. Now, in the middle of the second wave of the pandemic, businesses are hurting and the Prime Minister has warned the country that dark days remain ahead. 
Sunday, opposition leader Aaron O'Toole said there can be no plan for the economy until Canada has rapid testing and a vaccine. That's a slight departure for the Conservatives who have been demanding a fiscal update for months. The economic statement will likely mirror some of the themes of September's throne speech, which focused on getting more women back into the workforce and growing a green economy. But because of how unpredictable the pandemic is, economists say this is a tough needle to thread. Some kind of marriage of the scenarios that we are starting to hear about consistently from a public health perspective, that that will color the financial Outlook. Are there going to be new investments in long-term care, in health care? Are there going to be new investments in child care? Some areas that really were highlighted by this pandemic, but I think that are of interest to the, the Liberals in the long run. A plenty of hard-hit industries will be looking to the update for help, including the airlines, which have been decimated by the pandemic as travel essentially came to a halt. Michael Couture, Global News, Ottawa. The funeral of Iran's top nuclear scientist took place today, days after he was killed. Iranian media say Mohsen Fakhrizadeh died in hospital after armed assassins fired at his car in Tehran on Friday. He was well known to those who followed Iran's nuclear program. Described by Western and Israeli intelligence services as the leader of a covert atomic bomb program that was halted in 2003. While no one claimed responsibility for the attack, Iran is blaming Israel. Experts say that this killing could threaten to escalate tensions now between the U.S. and Israel. U.S. healthcare workers are bracing themselves for another deadly COVID-19 surge after millions of Americans defied the warnings to travel and went to see loved ones this Thanksgiving weekend. Jennifer Johnson reports. As millions of Americans return home through airports and on the roads after the Thanksgiving holiday, the busiest travel day of the year, healthcare experts warn there will be consequences. Clearly in the next few weeks, perhaps even two or three weeks down the line, we may see a surge upon a surge. You know, we don't want to frighten people, but that's just the reality. An estimated 7 million people traveled through U.S. airports from November 22nd to the 25th ahead of the holiday. Now they are heading back home with this advice. If you're young and you gathered, you need to be tested about five to 10 days later, but you need to assume that you're infected. Healthcare officials fear what's coming. One doctor offering this warning. I hope that the last moments of your life don't look like this, because this is what you'll see at the end of your life if we don't start wearing masks. Los Angeles County officials are not backing down as their controversial three-week ban on public and private gatherings takes effect Monday. Dead people don't get a second chance. Doctors are frustrated so many Americans are ignoring safety guidelines like this massive illegal party busted in New York City as the release of a vaccine gets closer. On Saturday, the first doses of a vaccine were flown from Brussels to Chicago, awaiting federal approval. For those on the front lines, it can't come soon enough. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Farmers in India have rejected their government's offer to hold immediate talks if they end their protests over new reforms that they say will devastate the price of their crop. Thousands have been camping out on highways, demanding new agriculture laws be withdrawn. They fear the new laws could cause the government to stop buying grain at guaranteed prices. 
As a result, they say farmers would be exploited by big corporations that would buy their crops cheaply. The government is arguing that this new legislation allows farmers the freedom to market their produce and boost production through private investment. Agriculture supports more than half of the country's 1.3 billion people. Heartbreaking news from the entertainment world to tell you about today. Darth Vader actor David Prowse has passed away at the age of 85. Prowse played the role in the original Star Wars trilogy. His agent says he died after a short illness. Before film, Prowse was a British weightlifting champion. When auditioning for the role of Darth Vader or Chewbacca, Prowse chose the villain because he said, you always remember the bad guys. A volcano eruption on an island in southern Indonesia has forced hundreds of people to evacuate. This huge plume of smoke towered about four kilometres high. A flight warning was also triggered along with the closure of a local airport. Lava flow warnings have also been issued. There have been no reports, luckily, of any injuries or damage so far. A mysterious monolith that appeared in the Utah desert has now disappeared. The three-metre-tall metal discovery was first noticed by a team of biologists more than a week ago. State officials quickly debunked the idea that the monolith was put there by space aliens, saying the illegally installed structure was removed sometime on Friday night, but it was not removed by the agency. A stack of red rocks and a steel prism-shaped object have been left in the monolith's place. The San Juan County Sheriff's Office is continuing its investigation. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, just ahead, a Surrey girl who's only been in Canada for two years competes in the National Spelling Bee. We'll tell you how she did if we just didn't give it away nearly, after Yvonne's forecast a bit later. First of all, though, in what has been a difficult year, many of us are eager for some Christmas cheer, and it is beginning to look like the holidays in downtown Vancouver. The tree just outside the Vancouver Art Gallery is now glowing with more than 100,000 lights. The tree is just over 22 metres tall, the perfect place to take a selfie. As we know, non-essential travel should be avoided. So if you can't see it in person, don't worry. We will show it a few more times before Christmas. That looks great. <laughs> Brings me nicely into Yvonne. And you know, you've got details about a wind warning. I'm thinking about all the Christmas decorations, including I've got a huge inflatable in my <laughs> yard. Are they all gonna blow away tonight? Ah, uh, yes, uh, make sure everything's <laughs> sort, of, sort of hunkered down because we are gonna have very windy conditions, but it's the long range that's fantastic. So if you haven't put up your Christmas lights just yet, there'll be plenty of opportunity. I'll show you in the long range in just a moment. A quick glance though, I wanted to show you this. Uh, this was sent in from us uh, from the Tofino Resort and Marina of the winds and what it looked like along the waters and we'll continue to see it and actually this is really going to start to pick up more so overnight leading in towards the morning hours but that's a great shot just to so show us what it looked like along the water for the day today. Here's the satellite and radar and what we are looking at. We've got that precipitation that's going to move in but the bulk of the rain is going to fall overnight late tonight and the winds are going to pick up as well. We're currently sitting at 7 on the airport. We've got an easterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. A glance at some of the current winds. We're sustained out of a house sound at 43 in areas near Tofino for the west. Western Edge with a gust right now up to 28.
8 kilometers per hour. Lots of warnings that are in effect. We've got a special weather statement for Metro Vancouver. I'll show you what that means in just a moment, but a quick glance at the precipitation. So this evening it'll intensify. Some of the heavier rain is going to push in, especially overnight. It'll be a wet start to our Monday morning, so a heads up, grab the rain gear. And then as we get in towards the afternoon, we'll start to see it ease off. The winds will ease off as well. It'll push in towards the interior. And if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we've got anywhere between two and up to four centimeters for most areas and higher elevations along a few of the mountain passes could see a range between five and up to 10 centimeters. Once we get past tomorrow, though, there's plenty of sunshine in the forecast. Wind warnings that are in effect. So Metro Vancouver, the peak of the winds will be overnight anywhere between 40 and up to 70 kilometers per hour along the western edge of the island, a range between 80 and up to 100 kilometers per hour. So yes, watch those Christmas decorations. We will see the peak of it, for example, areas near Tawasin, the gusts over 80 into the early morning hours. It'll be very windy at times and then diminishing as we get in towards the afternoon. A quick glance at the upper level chart. I wanted to show you this as a look ahead. So once we get past tomorrow, leading in towards next week, we've got this ridge of high pressure all the way in towards next week. We've got dry conditions and potentially in towards next weekend. Now, the northern half of the province, a much-needed break. It's just a chance for a few isolated showers. Inland across the central interior, we'll see showers in the morning and then a clearing towards the afternoon. Much of the southern interior will also see a few wet flurries for higher elevations and then changing over to showers. Whistler could see two and up to four centimeters of snowfall and along the south coast. So very windy overnight for a Monday morning and then a nice break will be on the way, a clearing towards the afternoon. It'll be much needed. We just have some fog for the morning hours on Tuesday dissipating and the 70 forecast on you looks fantastic. Once we get past Tuesday onwards, we've got a fair bit of sunshine and dry conditions. My goodness, I almost had to do a double take at that. So much sunshine. Thank Thank you. All right, a nine-year-old girl from Surrey was in the virtual spotlight today for the Spelling Bee of Canada Championships. Your word is marshmallow. Marshmallow. M-A-R-S-H-M-A-L-L-O-W. Correct. Excellent. Not always as easy as it looks. The competition was held online this year due to the pandemic. Harbin Kaur is a grade four student at the Khalsa School in Newton. She immigrated to Canada from India two years ago and has been working to perfect her English. She wasn't able to hang on to the final round of the competition, but she has still made her family and friends incredibly proud. Congratulations. I almost forgot to throw you guys a word, but I'm not going to. I was going to say, if you were the moderator and you asked them to spell aluminium, I bet they wouldn't have got it because they wouldn't know what it was. Oh, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) It's good to see you again. I was going to say, always good to be back on this show for those days. (laughs) All right, then. What have we got coming up in the world of sport, Barry? Well, of course, it's big NFL Sunday and uh, the situation in Denver, bizarre with uh, the situation with the quarterbacks. None of them eligible to play today because of uh, being on the COVID. 19 list so the Broncos found out like we all figured that it's pretty tough to win without a quarterback in the NFL so we'll have highlights of that and good news for the Seahawks even though they didn't play a lot of the division opponents lost today so that's all coming up. Nargan woman is opening up about her struggles with maintaining her mental health during this pandemic and she's doing it all while raising funds for the Canadian Mental Health Association. She took on a massive challenge just to do so. Global's Sydney Morton has the story. 
There's nothing like an icy dip in Okanagan Lake the day after running 100 kilometers, at least for ultra marathoner Mel Goss Sinclair. Stay a little wrecked, the legs are a little sore, um, and so doing a lot of recovery today, um, hence a little polar dip. Saturday, the runner left from Prospera Place in Kelowna at 6 in the morning. Four, three, two, one. one. Ran to Vernon, then turned around and ran back again, covering 100 kilometers all before 7 p.m. Beginning, you're excited. You've got the nerves, you're running those out, and then you're gonna hit that first wall at some point where you're like, holy smokes, like I'm only 20K and I've got 80 kilometers more to go. Goss Sinclair is no stranger to ultra marathons. She has competed around the world in Canada, the US, South America. Madagascar and now the Okanagan. This most recent challenge is a way to raise funds and awareness for the Canadian Mental Health Association. Uh, I think a lot of times we think this definition of strength is always looking like you have it all together and I learned really quickly especially this year it's that's not the strongest um, someone can be. It's actually when you're vulnerable. It take, that takes a lot of strength. Like a lot of people, Gus Sinclair had a rough year in 2020. On top of the pandemic, she was in a serious car accident and a friend lost their life to suicide. These struggles prompting her to help others. Having a cause that was tied so closely to my heart and I think a lot of people this year, was. it was definitely one of the more mentally strong runs I think I've had in a, a long time. <laughs> The grueling race might be over for Goss Sinclair, but the need for mental health resources continues. So donations are still being accepted online. Sydney Morton, Global News, Kelowna. Buckle up for a safe holiday experience at the Peony. Head to Peony Winter Lights, a safe two-kilometer route where you and your family will embark on a magical journey to find Santa from the warmth of your own vehicle. See enchanted lands filled with glowing lights and special characters along the way. This Pink Shirt Day is about working together and treating others with respect and dignity. COVID-19 has impacted everyone and shown the importance of helping one another and advocating for those who need it. Help us lift each other up and support anti-bullying initiatives by purchasing your Pink Shirt today. Global BC, celebrating 60 years of broadcasting. Celebrating 60 years as BC's News. All right, let's head over to the sports desk with Barry. He's got all the details. What's happening that's today? That's right. It was the news desk about two minutes ago. It was. Now, now it's the sports desk. We changed like that. All right, that's like. right. We're together again, but just apart. <laughs> Good to see you, Sonia. Thanks, everyone. It's uh, not like the Denver Broncos uh, were going to beat New Orleans, even with a full lineup. But when you take every one of their quarterbacks out of the mix, it was a predictable outcome today in Denver. The NFL decided yesterday that all of the Bronco quarterbacks were at COVID risk because they were not wearing masks in meeting this week uh, when one of the quarterbacks tested positive for the virus. So Denver was forced to improvise against the NFC East leading uh, Saints, or at least the NFC South leading Saints. Uh, practice squad receiver Kendall Hinton starting at QB got about 24 hours to prep. He did play QB at Wake Forest University, but not since 2018. His first pass, Incomplete. The Broncos did a lot of direct snaps to running backs. Really no choice but to simplify the offense. And speaking of running, Taysom Hill at quarterback for the injured Drew Brees for the Saints. Hill runs in his second touchdown of the game and fourth in the last two games. 14-0 Saints. 
Hinton only threw nine passes. Three were caught. Unfortunately, two of them were caught by the Saints. Janoris Jenkins with the pick, 17-0 at the half. The Broncos had 12 yards passing the entire game. It was an unfair fight. Latavius Murray busts it 36 yards for the touchdown. Saints roll 31-3 over the Broncos, who I think will be wearing their masks at practice this week as the Saints lead the NFC at 9-2. and The Seahawks play tomorrow night against the Eagles. They'll have running back Chris Carson back in the lineup after missing four games with a foot injury. Even without playing today, though, the Seahawks still moved up the standings. Oh, we just saw this. Are we going... uh, Do we have the 49ers Rams here? We have a little technical issue there. There we go. All right. The rest of the NFC was busy. Rams and 49ers. LA leading the NFC West at 7-3. Own the tiebreaker on the Seahawks. But the 49ers have a whopping 18 players on injured reserve. They showed a lot of guts today. Jared Goff picked off by Javon Kinlaw. Takes it in for the touchdown. 14-3 San Fran. But the Rams roared back. Cam Akers will bust one late in the third quarter. A huge hole. Gallup 61 yards until he is uh, caught from behind. Akers would later punch it in for the touchdown. The Rams led 2017. But the Niners tied it. And then on the final play of the game, Robbie Gold from 42 yards out. And it is good, and the Niners do the Hawks a big favor, knocking off the Rams 23-20. The Rams are now 7-4, a half game behind Seattle. Cardinals and Patriots from Foxborough, late first half. The Cards up 10-7, fourth and goal. They decide to go for it, but they are stuffed by the Patriots' defense, and it remains 10-7. That would turn out to be a monumental play for New England. Third quarter, more from the defense. Kyler Murray's pass deflected at the line of scrimmage, picked off by Adrian Phillips. That led to a Patriots touchdown. They led 17-10. Fourth quarter now tied at 17, under two to go. Zane Gonzalez, 45-yarder to give the Cardinals the lead, but it's no good. Misses wide right. It remains tied. Patriots get a chance for the win. Final play of the game. Nick Folk from 50 yards out. He drills it. And the Patriots beat the Cardinals 2017, doing the Seahawks a big favor as well. Arizona drops to 6-5. and five. Marquee matchup quarterbacks-wise. Chiefs and Bucks, fourth all-time meeting between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Brady had won two of the first three, but Mahomes came out firing. A 75-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill. 10-0 for the Chiefs. Still in the first, same dynamic duo, Mahomes to Hill, and Hill will take it in for another touchdown. He had 203 receiving yards in the first quarter, 17-0 Chiefs. Third quarter, they're at it again. This time, it's a 20-yard strike for the Hill's uh, hat-trick touchdown. Hill had 13 catches for 269 yards and the three TDs. 27-10 Chiefs. Bucks did make it interesting. Tom Brady with two fourth-quarter touchdown passes. This one to Mike Evans, but the Bucks fall short 27-24. Mahomes 37 of 49, 462 yards. KC now 10-1. Tampa drops to 7-5. Titans and Colts. Indy won at Tennessee a couple of weeks ago, but Ryan Tannehill and the Titans gave it right back today. First quarter, laterals it out to Derrick Henry, who rumbles in for the touchdown, 7-0 Titans. Late first, now 7-7. Tannehill will hit A.J. Brown in stride, and Brown does the rest. 69-yard touchdown. 
14-7 for the Titans. Derrick Henry ran roughshod over the Colts. He had 140 yards and three touchdowns alone in the first half, including this 11-yard score as the Titans hammer the Colts 45-26. Tennessee goes to 8-3. The Colts drop to 7-4. And, and one more from the NFL. Cleveland Browns in the playoff mix in the AFC at 7-3, visiting 1-9 Jacksonville. Second quarter, Browns trailing, but Baker Mayfield to Austin Hooper. Nine-yard touchdown, 17-13 Cleveland at the half. Fourth quarter, Browns knocking on the door. Pitch to Nick Chubb, and he will get the corner, dive in for the touchdown. Browns lead 27-19, but Jacksonville... Got a touchdown. They needed the two-pointer to tie, but Mike Glennon cannot find a receiver in the end zone. The Browns win ugly like they often do, 27-25, but they are 8-3. and three. And after the game, the 1-10 Jags fired their general manager, Dave Caldwell. Brand Grand, uh, Grand Prix is uh, raced under the lights, and it would provide a contrasting backdrop for a fiery crash. Opening lap, Switzerland's uh, Romain Grosjean gets tangled up. Cuts across the track, and look at that. The car instantly explodes. A huge fireball. The car literally cut in half. Amazingly, Grosjean climbs out of the car on his own. Minor burns to his feet, ankles, second-degree burns to his hands. Also dealt with broken ribs. Remarkable, that's all it was. The safety crew right there to make sure it wasn't worse. The race was delayed 90 minutes while they dealt with the wreckage and patched up the barrier, which also got damaged. Then Canadian Lance Stroll also had a rough ride as his car clips another and then flips over. Get a great view of it from... Uh, the uh, camera of Sebastian Vettel here. Stroll was okay, needed some help getting out of the car, obviously did not finish. Lewis Hamilton ended up winning the race the 95th of his career. Got some soccer now. English Premiership. Man United fell behind 2-0 at Southampton, but Edinson Cavani, the veteran Uruguayan, came in as a second-half sub, and man, did he pay off. Fantastic header, equalizes 2-2. And then in stoppage time, more service into the box, and it's Cavani one more time heading it home for the game winner. Third straight EPL win for Manchester United. They move up to eighth place, and they have played one less game than most of the other clubs. And MLS playoffs. Eastern Conference semis from sunny Orlando. Orlando City and New England Revolution already 1-0 New England. They add another first attempt off the post. But Gustavo Bow finishes it off. 2-0 Revolution. Orlando got one back, but New England put it away in the 86th. Perfect through ball to Bow as he pokes in his second of the match. New England on their way to the Eastern Final. 3-1 over Orlando City. Columbus and Nashville are playing the other semi right now. They are scoreless late in the second half. And that is it for sports. Sonia, back to you. Cancer is relentless, but for every patient, every chemo appointment, every radiation treatment, BC Cancer is there to change the outcome. With your help, BC Cancer won't stop until it's done. Donate today at bccancerfoundation.com. We've got a great story to uh, end the show with. A five-year-old North Shore boy 
uh, who played newscaster to spread an important message. Take a look. All right, I think we don't have that right now. We're going to just get that ready. Uh, we are having a few technical gremlins in the system. I think it's ready now. Let's try again. Press that button, Anita. No, we don't have <laughs> oh. it. Oh, never mind. Okay, I think we might end up running out of time then. Um, it is Beckett who lives in North Vancouver. His aunt shared the video with us, but uh, I'll tell you that over the weather forecast right now. Maybe Yvonne, you can take over this bit. He's very cute. We'll post it on our globalnews.ca yes, and we'll have it a little bit later on with Jordan on a final. Um, a quick glance at the forecast. So a reminder, we've got the wind, um, special weather statement and wind warnings that are in effect. It'll be very blustery. The peak of the winds will be overnight and for the early morning hours. So a heads up. It'll be paired with rainy conditions so a wet start to the morning and then it clears for the afternoon. Once we get past tomorrow afternoon we've got a nice break on the way and we've got plenty of sunshine in the long range. All I, right. I think we, oh look we've just about squeezed this in now. Thank you Beckett. On that note we say good night <laughs> to you all. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Good night.